Our Old Testament scripture reading is Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 9. Our text is going to be from the book of Ephesians. In that passage, the Apostle Paul makes a reference to something that is written. And he says that in a way that typically is referring to the Scriptures, though what he says is not a quote we can find anywhere in the Scriptures. So there's debates about what he is doing there. But one of the things he is doing, at least, is he is summing up something that is said in the Old Testament in many places. And Isaiah 60, especially verse 1, is one of those places. So we read this as background for our text from Ephesians. Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 9. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading is Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21. It's also the text for our sermon as we continue our series in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the gift of your word. We thank you for the calling we have just heard to be wise. To do this, to be wise, to walk with wisdom, this wisdom must be formed within us. And something you do through your word. And so we humbly seek the presence and work of your Holy Spirit among us. So that we might hear and receive by faith what your word says And that we might respond with faith and with grateful obedience to the announcement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For all of this, we pray for your presence and work among us. And we ask that you would do this through this, the preaching of your holy word. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to this portion of the the book of Ephesians, continuing in this series together, there are many dangers that lurk around us as we come to this text. This is a text that at first glance seems like a very easy one to preach. There is a whole bunch of naughty things listed, and so I can simply tell you a bunch of things you should not do. We would have all manner of application. Wow, that sermon really spoke to me, and we can go home. This is a real danger. How do we avoid this? Well, we have to remember themes we have been seeing throughout our time in Ephesians. You might remember that early on in chapter 1 and 2, we had a similar warning when it came to how Ephesians spoke about the gospel. There were many verses in the beginning of Ephesians that we often use to emphasize the grace of God in salvation. Many verses that if you are talking about the fact that God planned our salvation from eternity past... If you're wanting to emphasize that we receive our salvation only by faith as a gift of God's grace, there are many passages that can be used beautifully for that purpose. And that is wise, a good thing to do. But what is always the danger when we pull verses like that out of context to make a doctrinal point? Well, the danger is that we forget their context. And so we need to be reminded this morning of the bigness of the story that the Apostle Paul is announcing in this letter to the Ephesians. The Apostle Paul is announcing nothing less than the turning point in the whole history of the world of what God has been planning to do from the very beginning. Remember phrases from Ephesians chapter 1. Let's let's turn there actually. Ephesians 1 verse 10. 
This is right in the middle of a passage where the Apostle Paul is talking about how individuals get saved, only by grace and by faith. But that's not the only thing he's talking about. That there is this grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. What is that purpose? Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Whoa, wait a minute, what is Paul talking about? What is God doing in Christ? Uniting all things in him. This is the creator who is acting. He is the one who made heaven and earth and everything in them. And our sin has messed all of that up. And his goal is not just to rescue individual souls, but it is nothing less than the restoration of all things in Christ. This is the big thing God is doing that he is then including us in. This is why then when we came to Ephesians chapter 4, what does Paul start talking about but the life of the church? The way God is doing this is he is building his church. The church he is called to be a new humanity, the, the beginning, as it were, of God making the world new. And so what is the story? Creation is messed up. The world is messed up by sin. God is acting in Christ to unite all things in him, and the church is the place where he is doing that. You are called as the church to be this new humanity in Christ. Now, why is that so important to have sort of that context coming into this? Well, there's all sorts of reasons, but one of them is what we emphasized last week in our sermon for Pentecost. All of this is what God is doing. All of this, the new life he gives the church, the identity he gives us, the wisdom he calls us to, all of it is a work of his grace that he is doing. All of it is gospel. And so when we come to Ephesians 5 and we hear things like be imitators of God, walk in love, do not walk in foolishness but be wise, seek to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, none of this is law or legalistic things opposed to the gospel. All of this is the good news of what God is doing, the life he is giving us, a gift by his grace. And it is of urgent importance that we hear it in this way. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21, the Apostle Paul proclaims the fulfillment of the promise, remember this is good news, that Christ will shine on you. The center of our passage, verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light, therefore it says, arise, O sleeper, or awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. My goal this morning is that we would hear all of these exhortations about how we are to live in that gospel context. This is what God is doing in Christ, what he is giving to us as a gift. We're going to see this in three steps. First, the good news that Christ is that light. Second, that then the church is light. And then third, that we are called to walk as children of light. First, at the center of this passage, the good news that Christ is light. I've already highlighted all these exhortations about how we are to live in this passage. At the center of it is this announcement of who Christ is. Verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, I already alluded to this before our scripture reading. Paul introduces that in verse 14 with language, Therefore it says. 
And typically when Paul does that, it's a signal that he is quoting something from the Old Testament scriptures. But what, of course, I already alluded to, what is delightfully interesting about this is we cannot find that quote anywhere in the Old Testament scriptures. One possibility, there was already existing a poem or a hymn that had this phrase in it that was understood to be scriptural, and he is simply quoting this other thing as a summary of what the scripture says. That is very possible. But whether you have that view or not, what everyone agrees on is that what he is drawing together here is scriptural themes. And it is common that the Apostle Paul, or it's, it's very possible that he would say, therefore it says, referring to Scripture, not a specific verse, but a, a group of themes coming together, a way of summarizing what the hope of Israel was. One of those passages would be Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord, speaking to Israel, having in view the reality of judgment and exile because of their sin and all the terrible things that would happen because of that, Israel, as it were, being trapped by their sin, announced that one day light would shine. And what the Apostle Paul is announcing in Ephesians chapter 5 is that our Lord Jesus Christ is that light. He is the fulfillment of what God had promised Israel. At the center of this passage is the announcement of that good news. There is such a thing as darkness, and Christ has shined as light in that darkness. Now, we have a bit of a problem here, especially if you have grown up as a Christian. And that is when you start hearing words like light, and Jesus is light, and the church is light, and we need to live as light, this all starts to feel really uh, trite and thin and simplistic, even moralistic, legalistic. We have to hear this the way the scriptures are speaking of it. Darkness is real. Darkness is terrifying. Many of us right now, all of us right now, face something in our lives where the thing that makes it fearful, the thing that makes it troubling to us, the thing that makes it a challenge for us is the darkness it is messed up, wrapped up in, connected with. All of us have something, whether it be a difficult providence and the brokenness of this life, whether it be a struggle with sin, a sense of spiritual oppression, where it is the reality of darkness in the world that we are up against. And we need to learn to be wise in connecting things we experience with that reality of spiritual darkness. Later on in Ephesians chapter 6, a passage we looked at last Sunday evening in our study of the Catechism. The Apostle Paul says, It is spiritual darkness in the world that we are up against, not flesh and blood, not human opposition, first of all, but the fact of real, personal, demonic evil. Darkness is real. Darkness is fearful. And all of us are confronted with it. The world, apart from the work of God in Christ, would be trapped in that darkness. The horrible things that humans get wrapped up in, the horrible things that people do to each other. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the announcement that in Christ, God has shined light into the world. That we are not trapped by that darkness. That that darkness does not win. It does not have the upper hand. It is not what defines reality. 
that in our Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, God has shined light. And Paul is announcing that that is the answer to everything Israel had ever hoped for. That all of those hopes that one day God would rescue them from exile, rescue them from the consequences of their sin, God has finally done in Christ. And brothers and sisters, if we are going to hear Ephesians 5 rightly, we need to hear all of this specifically as gospel. What God has done in Christ. Well, at the center of Ephesians 5 is this idea of Christ shining as light. Well, what does that light do? Well, one of the things the Apostle Paul says is that that light reveals the reality of darkness. There are two main categories of the reality of darkness that Paul says is revealed. We could summarize them with two words. The first one is debauchery. The second one is covetousness. These two things he refers to repeatedly throughout this passage. And both of these are highlighting something that was a very real thing that God's people were challenged by at the time of the Roman Empire. These are things that trap people. And he's announcing the good news that Christ has shined as light in the midst of that darkness. Debauchery, he describes it in verses 3 through 5. Sexual immorality, crude joking, filthiness, foolish talk, sexually immoral again in verse 5. He speaks of drunkenness, which is debauchery later on in verse 18. What ties all of those together is that these are a picture of what was frequently happening in Roman culture of simply fully giving oneself over to the chaos of such debauchery. A full giving oneself over to it as the only thing that matters as all there is and all of the chaos and destruction of life that flows from it. Debauchery. The second one is covetousness. He refers to it twice. Verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And by the way, not even be named. It doesn't mean don't talk about it. In fact, you have to in order to be wise, as he's going to say later on. What must not be named means it should not be happening among you. It should not be a thing that is described as being among you as the church. But what's the second one there? Covetousness. And he refers to it again in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. What Paul is saying is that this light of Christ shining illuminates, makes clear the reality of that darkness. And when it shines that light, it reveals to us what that darkness is headed toward. Verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The light of Christ reveals that that way of living is headed toward destruction. And it makes that known. It, it enables the church to be wise about that. That God is not just making up random rules because he likes to invent rules, but he is showing us with his light the destructiveness of something that really is destructive. Thereby warning his people not to give themselves over to it. Notice, interestingly, there's two things put together for doing debauchery and covetousness where they are really paired is in verse 5. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous. 
Now, interestingly, which one of those is identified as idolatry, which is the great sin against the first commandment of worshiping another god? It is covetousness. Now, I want to warn you against hearing what the Apostle Paul says here through the lens of culture war themes. We all like to pick the thing that's going on out there that we can point our fingers to and say, look how bad that is. Which is the one that he identifies as idolatry? Covetousness. The desiring, the inordinate desire for more. We think of the wealth of the Roman Empire and all the prosperity that the Roman Empire made possible and the danger of God's people being swept up in the pursuit of all of that. Well, we must hear, of course, that same warning today, and we must be careful to hear all of these warnings. Because the language he says is of warning, not to point at, oh, look at all the bad stuff out there, aren't they terrible, but a warning for the church. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. Likewise, verse 6, Let no one deceive you, with empty words. He's warning of the danger of being deceived by these things. The light of Christ reveals the darkness, makes known the end of the path as a warning that it leads to destruction, and then it reveals that which is good. Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. This is what the light of Christ does as well. It reveals that which is good. Brothers and sisters, do not take for granted the good news of Christ revealing all of this. On the one hand, the wanton giving oneself over debauchery of of sexual morality and drunkenness and of joking about such things, of just joining in with the chaos of the Roman Empire. On the one hand, the foolishness of that is patently obvious. And it can seem like we almost didn't need it to, to be pointed out to us. But brothers and sisters, we all have ways to be tempted by covetousness. We all have ways to be tempted to give oneself over to the darkness. And do not take for granted the grace of God in warning us of it. The grace of God in making known the danger that really is there. It is God's grace that he points out to us paths we may be tempted by and the destructive end of those paths. But you see, when you hear that, you, 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 you hear it as a warning, say, you're like, okay, God is graciously pointing out something that is dangerous. I'm alerted to the fact I don't want to veer off in that direction. I ought not give myself over to that. The danger then, though, is to find the correction in legalism, right? What's the next thing we want then? A list of rules. God's word will not let us do that. In fact, I'm going to challenge us a little bit later with how Paul is actually pointedly refusing to do that. But most importantly, what is happening in this passage is not a list of rules, but God announcing in his grace, not just now what Christ has done, Christ is the light, but secondly, who you are as the church. Second thing we see this morning in this passage, that the church is light. Back at verse 1 again, the challenge we have before us this morning is all embedded in this verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God. 
dangers abound in how we hear this word. There have been many in the history of the church who have reduced the Christian faith simply to imitating. There have been many in the history of the church who have said all Jesus came to do was to give us an example. He was really good at being nice, and now we can all go be nice like Jesus. In fact, isn't that what Paul says here? Be imitators of God, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us. There's the danger of reducing the gospel simply to imitation. But of course, if we do that, then we have nothing but deadly legalism. That will crush us. If you look to Jesus simply as an example to follow, you will be crushed by that. Because good luck, you're not going to pull it off. And all you have then is further condemnation as a result. That danger is real. We must, we must be alert to it. For, there are so many reasons for this. We are constantly tempted by legalism, work, works righteousness, earning something from God. But there is another danger as well. And this is actually the one I'm more concerned about at the moment. There is the danger that we recognize that danger, and then we say, okay, any talk of imitating is dangerous, right? If you hear someone say, you need to imitate Christ, follow Jesus, be more like him, we say, see, there's that legalism again. But what did God's word just say? Therefore, be imitators of God. What did God's word just say? But walk in love as Christ loved us. God's word clearly calls us to imitate, to be like God, to be like Christ in how we live. And so, yes, there is the danger of hearing that in this sort of crushing, legalistic way in which all the gospel is, is imitation. But there is also the danger of not wanting to talk about this at all. Well, how do we avoid both dangers? We don't want the legalism, but we don't want to reject what is clearly a biblical theme. Well, the answer is to hear all of this in the context of the gospel that has already been announced. Paul is not worried about how this fits with the gospel. It's obvious to him. The way he's talking about this, he means for you to hear this as good news. Why? Well, running throughout this passage is the clear affirmation announcement of who you are of an identity that you are given in Christ, and of an identity that is sure and secure as a result of God's promise. When Paul then says, be imitators of God, he's not saying, there's God over there, and there's you over here, and you have to on your own figure out how to be like him. He's rather announcing as gospel, this is who you are. I'm going to show you this in several ways in this passage. First, one of the most obvious in verse 2 Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The thing that Paul calls you to imitate is something that, first of all, you cannot imitate because it is a singular, unique event. Christ has given himself up for you. You cannot do that. Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. That is not something you can imitate. And so you see, the very thing that Paul is saying is supposed to be our example of love, of giving ourselves with love, of, of showing love to others, is something that was done once and for all for you. And in that one sentence, he's announcing both of those things. 
He in no way intends for you then to, in a legalistic way, earning something from God, try to be like Christ. That makes no sense. The whole point is Christ has already done it for you. He has given himself up for you. And then flowing from that as a further gift of his grace, he makes you like himself. Do you see how that is surrounded with security, belonging, identity? This is what God has done for us. Paul says, including you in that by faith. It's already what God has done for you. Another example, back to verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you hear it? What is Paul saying? He's not saying you're off on your own, separated from God, trying to be good enough. He's not simply saying the gospel is just the imitating. The gospel that you've been given this status. You have been adopted as a child of God and that you are beloved of him. And it is in the security of that identity as one who is his beloved child that he then calls you to live in this way. That is good news. And it is good news that when he makes you his beloved child, that changes how you live. It is in no way opposed to the gospel, but rather flows from the gospel. And then one final example, verses 7 and 8. This is in the midst of his exhortation to live a certain way. This is right after he has given the warning. It is for these reasons that judgment is coming upon the sons of disobedience, this debauchery of the Roman Empire. And he says then the warning, verse 7, therefore do not become partners with them. And so there is a kind of fearfulness, a sternness, a clarity, a pointedness about this warning. There is real danger. Heed the warning. But notice, never is this putting you in a place of, oh no, who am I? Or, oh no, which one am I? Or what is my status with God? Because what does Paul then go on to say to strengthen, to encourage you in that way? Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What beauty this is, that when he calls you to walk as children of light, it is because he has already proclaimed as God's promise that you are light. It is gift, a secure identity, a belonging, a, a who you are in Christ. You are light. Now, brothers and sisters, we know this is headed, I've introduced it this way, it's the, it's the question we're trying to answer. We know this is headed toward things about how we are to live. But I want to encourage, I want to exhort you this morning to allow yourself to hear all of this as good news, as promise, as God's word for you in particular. Now, I'm going to dwell on these announcements of identity here for a moment. At no point is any of this encouraging presumption. This is the worry of some in the Reformed world, that if all we do is announce promise, then it's as though you're telling people it doesn't matter how you live. But that also is it's so far from what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying it is precisely faith in this promise that God uses to transform us. And so this is not about presumption. This is rather a call to turn toward Christ. In whatever circumstance we are in, this is what this is a call to do, to simply look to Christ and rest in his promises. 
If it is at this moment that burdens you, guilt for past sin, you hear the description of covetousness, of debauchery in the Roman Empire, and we have a sense of messiness, of dirtiness, of living in a messed up, broken world, of being sinful, then brothers and sisters, hear clearly announced for your faith this morning the word of the Lord saying that these are all exhortations coming from the Christ who loved you and gave himself up for you. Look to that Christ in faith. It's that simple. The one who loved you and gave himself up for you. If you are are trapped in patterns of sin, things you find yourself going back to time and again, then hear what the word of the Lord announces this morning as gospel, as good news for you. The strangeness, as it were, of verse 14. Start at verse 13. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. There's this language of the light transforming things, of making that which was darkness into light. And then, continuing in verse 14, his summary of the Old Testament, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is what God's Word does, what Christ does. He shines on you in a way that can bring life where there was death. And so whatever it is for you right now, Whatever it is that perhaps this very passage alerted you to that is fearful in terms of the destructive power of sin and the ways we can be trapped by the temptation to give ourselves over to these things. Christ is the one whose light gives life. You are not trapped. That sin does not define you. And everything that God's word says in this passage, as much as it confronts us with the reality of our sin, is announcing the one who changes us, who frees us, who shines as light in a way that can bring life where there was death. Or perhaps perhaps more, it is simply the feeling of insignificance in the Christian life. You know, sometimes eh, we're basically in a season of, in a good way, clear about forgiveness. We're in a season, we're in a good way. Truly, God has given a sense of progress and sanctification, being more like Christ. But there's that sense that God has not given us enough to do, enough of significance. Our our calling seems too small. Well, remember that bigness of the story we began with, of what God is doing in the world. That he called Israel to be a light to the nations. Christ fulfilled that as the light of the world. And then he tells his church, you are the light of the world. This is your identity, your calling, your vocation as the people of God. So that when God's word says in verse 8, walk as children, excuse me, but now you are light in the Lord. This is the announcement of something that ought to thrill us, that ought to excite us, that this is who we are in Whatever calling God has given you, however seemingly small or insignificant, you are part of the church of Jesus Christ called to be light in the darkness and to be light in the darkness in such a way as God intends for it to be effective. What does he say? But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Or perhaps... All of these exhortations are difficult because of difficult providence. Things happening in your life, not a matter of sin, first of all, but things happening in your life that are simply broken 
and messed up. The brokenness of our bodies, the reality of human relationships failing us, all of the things of the curse in this world. Well, don't move on too quickly from the mode by which this exhortation comes in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This is an announcement of who you are in the midst of difficult providence to be received by faith. There, there are times we can look at events in our lives and we don't see the status of beloved children as we desire to do. God's word here calls us to rest by faith in his promise that that is who you are. Beloved children in Christ. It is in the security of all of that then, that third and finally, God calls us to walk as children of light. Specifically, the theme running through this passage is that God calls us to walk with wisdom. Remember, what are the the two categories? First, Paul is highlighting the debauchery of the Roman Empire, the giving oneself over to drunkenness and sexual immorality and, and a sort of joking about making light of all those things that are happening in the Roman Empire. He says, no, you are to be separate from that. And then there's the warning about covetousness, the simply defining oneself by the wealth of the Roman Empire and all of that prosperity that Rome brought. And then he says this, and I think this is the phrase we most need to highlight to be challenged by what God's Word is saying here. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern. This is interesting language, isn't it? Why does it require trying and discerning? Don't we simply look at the Bible, whatever it says is wrong, that's wrong, whatever it says is good, is good? Isn't it simply that simple? Don't we just need a list of rules? Why in this moment, when it comes to how to engage with the debauchery and the covetousness of the Roman Empire, why does he say, try the Lord? Language, in fact, second half of this passage. He uses the language of Proverbs. He uses the language of the Old Testament description of wisdom. I hope you caught it when we were reading it. It's actually, as it builds as we move through the passage, there is the language, for example, of fruit. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That is the language of a way of living that bears fruit, that leads to something that is good. And he says this for that which is bad as well. Continuing on, for... for Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And it's right in that context that he says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then a sort of book ends with that verse 10, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Unfruitful, meaning there's also things that don't bear fruit. They don't lead to what is good. And what Paul is directing us to is we have to be wise. Is this thing I am doing bearing good fruit or is it bearing bad fruit? Is it destructive? And he's saying there is work for you to do in discerning that. He's not going to answer all of it for you, but there's work you need to do to, as it were, figure it out. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. 
Here again, the language of Proverbs, walking in a certain way, a way that is good, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 17, they're not, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The language is all of wisdom and foolishness. He's saying that if you're going to engage with the broader culture, you must put work into discerning, being wise about that which is good. In fact, think of the two main categories that Paul has been targeting as being the dangers. There's the debauchery of the Roman Empire, drunkenness and sexual immorality, he says. Well, we know very clearly from Scripture that both sex and wine are good things. Or covetousness, the giving oneself over to the pursuit of the wealth of the Roman Empire. All of those things of God's creation, we also know from God's Word, are God's good gifts. And so Paul is highlighting things, or what is happening is a created good is being distorted. Something God made good is being misused. And he's calling God's people then to be wise in discerning that. That what he's highlighting in the Roman Empire is the worship of something, the giving one over to oneself over as an absolute of something that God made good. Indeed, he will not allow us simply to resort to following a bunch of rules. And it's fascinating how Paul, at this very point of resisting what is happening in the Roman Empire, refrains from giving a bunch of rules. That, in fact, would be the approach of the Pharisees. Right? What, were the, what were the Pharisees doing at the time of Christ? Well, they reduced being a, uh, being a covenant member to a bunch of rules. And they say, well, they we're going to fence those rules, get as far away from them as possible. But Paul says you cannot do that. Because if you do that, you end up rejecting good things on the other side. Colossians 2, verse 23, referring to those who were teaching that very thing. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul is announcing the need in the way of following Christ, of being like him, to live with wisdom. We can highlight one element of that wisdom right here, actually, when it comes to the way he speaks about drunkenness. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. One writer connects this, and I think wisely, with verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. One of the ways we can be alert to identify foolishness is when an otherwise good gift of God is used to be deadening, to be an escape, to be a way of avoiding that which what God has called us to do. When it disrupts other areas of life, when it pushes out other goods. This is one of the primary ways you can identify the misuse of something that otherwise ought to be a good thing. And this writer argues that that's what's happening right here. That Paul is identifying a temptation. That because the days are evil, there's a temptation to use this gift of wine instead to simply give oneself over to its deadening effect. And he warns of that danger. But it is interesting, he doesn't say much more than that. And the apostle then is saying, it is your job as followers of Jesus Christ to discern the fruit of light and the fruit of darkness. 
and to discern that which is destructive and unfruitful and to discern that which is good. And one of the things God wants for his people is to be challenged to grow in that way of wisdom, to not have every last thing answered for them. I've warned you many times of that danger of wanting the minister to answer every possible question. The Apostle Paul won't answer every possible question. Why? Because we are all called as followers of Christ to seek to grow in wisdom. And that means navigating a complex, difficult reality. Well, how do we do that? Well, the passage ends with the exhortation to do this, in part, through corporate worship. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's beautiful how these concluding verses pull all of this together. We could say, it seems like too much. Who can do all of this? Who can, who can navigate the challenge to live a certain way in the context of the gospel? Who can truly seek to discern what is wise and pleasing to the Lord in such a complicated world? Well, one of the main things God gives us is our gathering together as the church. Here it is that we sing of those things that alert us to what we are living toward. That as we are tempted to give ourselves over to the things of this life as being gods in themselves, what we sing of reorients us to the Creator and to our love for Christ. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are tempted to give ourselves over to the pleasures of life, to be deadened, to escape the fact that the days are evil, that bad things happen, what is the answer? but to give thanks always and for everything. That even in difficult providence, we give thanks to God as our creator and as our redeemer in Christ. And then finally, we honor the relationships God has placed us in. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That our life together as the church, submitting to one another as part of the church, is part of how God enables us to persevere in this way of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, there is urgency to what God's word here has for us. Darkness is real. We are called to walk as children of light and to be alert to the real danger of the destructiveness of that darkness. But we must ever hear and receive that as good news, that God's word announces to you that you are light, that you are his beloved children, that you are the one he has loved and given himself up for. And then flowing from that, We live as children of light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, and we pray that you would help us both to rest in the promise of who we are in Christ and to live in a way that flows from that promise. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.